um, bathing, dressing, grooming, um, medication reminders, things of that nature. We have a large um, contingency of our clients who suffer from cognitive issues, so Alzheimer's dementia, which I think you know we're going to talk a lot about today. So might not be able to live on their own, on their own, live with family members who still work, but they don't have necessarily the time or resources to to kind of individually care for those people. So um, anything from basic companion care. Sometimes you get people later in life that lose a loved one and just need someone. Uh, may, maybe don't have that social connection and need someone in the home just to help grocery shop, do those sorts of things. So anything as basic as, as companion care all the way up to, you know, we do a lot of one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one work with like hospice and palliative care right. sort of end of life. So anywhere kind of in between in terms of, um, you know, just that little extra assistance that doesn't fall on the, you know, the medical side a lot of times if you have some home health portion versus home care, um, those are very short visits, only a couple times throughout the week and, and people will need more assistance to that kind of like on an everyday basis. So we're kind of different and a little more unique where um, we don't have an hour minimum. So we can do as little as one hour a day up to 24 hours of care a day. So really try to customize it to wherever the needs are. Don't want people paying for, um, you know, the care that they don't need or force them to pay for four hours a day or 20 hours a week, which you oftentimes see in, in a home care scenario. So, yeah, so that's kind of just in terms of what we offer and, and who, you know, potentially could benefit from it and, and look for those types of services. Those of you listening out there or watching, if you got a question, 844-STUDIO-4, 844-STUDIO-4, if you want to talk to Nate. Um, Nate, I, I shared with you that I had a grandmother on my mother's side who had dementia. I had a grandfather on my father's side who had Alzheimer's. And I got to tell you, on Sundays, um, my, my dad would go into town. It was one day he could get away. He'd go play bridge down the Oaks Club, and I would care for my grandfather. And um, this was a guy who was probably 82 or 83. I grew up with my grandfather mm. working closely with him. And, and he was bedridden, um, had Alzheimer's. And, you know, there would, might be an accident in the bed, and I had to take care of it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, uh, and watching him slip away a little bit each weekend that I would go out there, um, one time I just went home, had a drink, and cried. And, you know, I, I can't tell you the the toll it takes on a family watching that. Can you talk a little bit about what you do with those with those families who might have a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, a, a large contingency of our clients are dealing with cognitive issues later in life. Um, and it is very difficult. It's, it's taxing. It's um, there's even like a guilt element like you just kind of alluded to where it's like, man, you know, why can't I do more? Or, or you feel guilty that you're not doing enough or, you know, whatever it is, even though it's completely beyond your control, it's just a debilitating disease that literally the brain is just dying and it's very difficult to watch. Um, so I'm a certified dementia practitioner. Um, so it's something we take very seriously. It's something that's very important in an industry like ours. Um, we actually in the state of North Carolina, um, to be a licensed bonded insured company, there's training that the caregivers have to go through that's required by the state of North Carolina. We actually do a little bit further training that we require our caregivers. It's a class specifically geared towards caring for people with dementia and Alzheimer's. So in that scenario, um, we mentioned the baby boomer generation kind of getting older now, needing help. But then there's also a generation of children that are now taking care of their parents. Um, so respite care, like you mentioned, sometimes the primary caregiver is a loved one, is a family member, but it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. So coming in and having someone at least to, to allow them to, to get out of the house or, or to take care of things that we take for granted sometimes with people that aren't aware of those scenarios and that constant um, just sort of stress that's involved with 
you know, being in a, a, having a loved one in your life that constantly requires your attention. So um, in terms of the services that we offer specifically as the hands-on care for those dementia, we also have, you know, a lot of programs hopefully to keep them engaged as much as possible, depending on where they are um, in, in their diagnosis of dementia, um, you know, trying to keep them as active and, and engaged as long as possible. And then also providing, you know, that respite for the families who are involved with right. that care um, at the same time, because it's, it's challenging. It's um, like you said, stressful. There's a family dynamic oftentimes too, where some people care for more than others and there's some resentment. That, so it's, there's, there's a lot of, of different challenges and, and obstacles that really go into providing that care. And then also having a stranger, you know, at first come into the home, um, they oftentimes, you know, with the memory issues already, it's a very difficult thing when anytime anything changes in their world, you know, it's sometimes difficult. So what we really try to do in those scenarios specifically is create that consistency with the care in terms of, hey, how many hours are there a day, limit the amount of caregivers that are in the home and try to create that consistency and, and you know, kind of raise the comfort level um, for the families and for the ones who are receiving the care. 844-STUDIO-4, 844-STUDIO-4, if you have a question, Nate. Uh, Colonel, do you you said you might have somebody in your family that is, is wrestling with the same challenge? Yes, I do. I've got a 94-year-old aunt out in a memory care unit out in California. She's the last member of the greatest generation of my mm. family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has, I've been seeing a cognitive decline in her over the last couple of years. Uh, she had a guy she was with who declined quicker than she did, so we put him in memory care, mm. and she would go visit every day, and then I noticed that, th- that she couldn't take care of herself uh, mm-hmm. with issues, and, and I, I'd stayed with her for a couple of days, and the living conditions were terrible, mm. so I managed to get her to move into the same facility that her boyfriend was in. Right. And it's been wonderful. I mean, because there was some reason for her to go there. Right. And there's somebody there that she knew and loved. So to get her there, once I got her over the hurdle of leaving the house, which was a big deal. Right. Um, she's she's doing fairly well. Nate, I was sharing my, my grandfather. I, I remember one particular Sunday I was out there and I was <clears throat> making him lunch. And, and uh, my grandmother had died a couple of years before of cancer. And uh, granddaddy was saying, Louise, Louise. And I went in there and said, Granddaddy, there's something I can help you with. And he said, where's your, where's your grandmother? And I said, well, Granddaddy, she's passed. He said, what? I said, she, she died. And he just looked at me with these eyes. And then he said, how would I not remember that? And it just broke my heart. And I went back in the kitchen and he went, Louise, Louise. Mm. I walked back in there and, and uh, he said, Bill Jr., where's your grandmother? And I said, she went to town. Um, you know, but that's 25 years ago. And I've never forgotten that. No. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it's almost just as difficult sometimes. And they're oftentimes maybe lucid and then out of consciousness or, or having, you know, memory lapses. And some of it's shorter term, some of it's longer term. And it affects people, mm. you know, very differently in a lot of different scenarios. So um, I had a grandmother that passed away from Parkinson's and um, during COVID, um, you know, before I did this job. So it really opened my eyes to to just the value in having someone there for my grandfather too. I mean, he was the primary caregiver and having people come into the home that could really provide, you know, that level of quality of care at that point was, um, was very valuable. Well, when we get back, we're going to talk about some more of of your career, particularly in the military. And we're going to take a brief break for news. Stay with us here on town talk. We'll be back on town talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell on WSIC.
For those of you who are watching us uh, streaming on any of the streaming platforms, either on WSIC or Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation uh, taking place right now at this very moment while we're in here on WSIC, the Lake Norman Chamber is conducting a ribbon cutting. Nate, you're one of our ambassadors and you're missing that. Well, uh, actually, uh, I got to head over there before I came Oh, did here. you really? Yes, it was actually really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I uh, well, was there for a short period of time, but it was it was uh, really nice. We had a ribbon cutting at Overflow, 137 Mecklen Road in Morrisville. Uh, so you were there. Yes. Uh, Overflow is Lake Norman's only self-pour beer, wine, coffee bar located at Lane Tree. Uh, it's an easy trip right to get there on I-77. Share your experience while you were there this afternoon. Yeah, so I think you see a lot of these popping up a little more frequently, and, and uh, I see a lot of them in the Charlotte area, uh, at our Charlotte office, and then around the Uptown area. But yeah, it was kind of cool to see it making its way up here. Um, it's very convenient. It's almost like a, um, everything today is now like digitized, you know, it mm -hmm. feels like. You, Apple Pay, you don't even need a wallet anymore. You just hold your phone up. But yeah, you go in, you get a card, and um, the uh, an extensive amount of, of beers, wine, and I think she said they also do cocktails uh, for uh, three days a week. So if beer and wine is not necessarily a thing, you can obviously uh, get up there and, and, and take advantage of that as well. So it was, it was really a cool environment. Um, entertainment space was, was phenomenal. TVs everywhere. So it, it, it was a really cool space. And then they have the rooftop, I think, which they just Right. Added, Week, so. Weekly live music. Uh, they have a, a lot of things going on, food trucks, events. Um, they do group reservations, private private party events, corporate events. So um, I'm glad you were able to make it up there. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I was glad I got to squeeze it in before today, too. So, All right. And we're back on Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. We have Nate Conley here with Cornerstone Giving and Lieutenant Colonel John Headley with Welcome Home Veterans or Richard's Coffee Shop. Uh, Nate, we were talking a little bit earlier. You have a military background. Uh, share a little bit about your service in our military. Yes. So uh, I served from 2004 to 2011. Um, I was originally uh, in as a special forces uh, recruit, uh, 18 X-ray, um, ended up uh, dealing with some injuries and things like that. And uh, we were talking a little bit um, before we got on the air and uh, you were talking about your uh, military career and service, um, Colonel, and uh, I was reassigned to a scalp platoon. So did a lot of recon um, uh, for battalion scalp platoon um, and did my uh, training at Fort Benning, uh, Fort Bragg, and then was stationed over at Fort Lewis, um, where first group is, is, is located right. out there in concentration on the Middle East and um, got deployed in 2007 um, for 15 months. That was a, uh, a long, long uh, deployment, but uh, spent a, a lot of time in Baghdad, um, up north in Muqtadiyah, which is kind of the breadbasket. Um, a lot of terrorist activity and, and uh, not a lot of U.S. presence prior to that point. So had a lot of uh, clearing out to do and then um, ended up doing some some battle space handoff in like Bakuba with the Iraqi army and, and things like that. So... Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, um, an experience that, um, I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, I never intended to stay in. So it was one of those things I wanted to serve and do my part for the country and, and kind of move on. I was only supposed to be in five years and ended up getting injured and, and having some surgeries and things like that. So ended up getting medically, uh, discharged in, in 2011. And that's, uh, when I made my way, uh, here in, uh, down to the Charlotte area, um, once I was finally out and, and had moved on. So. Colonel Headley, uh, you sent me your bio, and I was looking at this, and you will not 
talk about this, I'm sure. So I'm going to read this. I, I read the bio, and I know you're author of two books, and I can't wait to read them. But <laughs> military decorations, Nate, included the Silver Star, the Bronze Star with Valor, twice, two Oak Leaf close Clusters, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, the Army Meritorious uh, Service Medal, two Oak Leaf co cl co um, Clusters, the Air Medal, the Army Commendation Medal with Valor, uh, the Good Conduct Medal, it, and it goes on and on and on in terms of your recognition and the things you achieved. And you came home and you got involved uh, with uh, Welcome Home Veterans. Share a little bit about what Welcome Home Veterans and Richard, Richard's Coffee Shop is. Okay, I'd be more than happy to do that, Bill. That's uh, a place that's near and dear to my heart. <clears throat> I've been involved with, with, with this place since its inception, um, it started out as a little coffee shop in Mooresville on Main Street called Pat's Gourmet Coffee Shop, uh, run by a guy by the name of Richard Warren, who was a gunship pilot in Vietnam, and his wife, and they were selling gourmet coffee. But Richard had a soft spot in his heart for veterans, uh -huh. particularly Vietnam guys, uh -huh. and he welcomed them in, and he, 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 he made them feel, feel good. A lot of guys came back not feeling so good from All that right. war. Uh, and it, it got to be a gathering place for veterans and hanging stuff on the wall, plaques and the things that you get in units. And uh, about 14 years ago, he got very sick. He asked us to form a 501c3 that he wanted to call Welcome Home Veterans. And there were some guys that got involved with the paperwork to get that together. Um, and he got very sick from Agent Orange-related oh. issues. And just about the time, I think the 501c3 came through maybe a couple, three or four weeks before he passed away. Mm. Uh, I was asked to join the, the board because we were trying to make some kind of a, form some kind of an organization to carry his thoughts forward. Um, there was an altercation between the landlord and his now ex-wife, Pat, and we got kicked out of where we were. Uh, there was a nice restaurant, I don't remember which one it was, down at, 150 and 77 has said we, we could come in on Saturday mornings before they opened um, and talk and do what we wanted to do, our planning to try to keep the place going. Uh, we did that for probably about six months. I was on the board. Um, one weekend, I, I, one week I missed a meeting. When I went back for the next one, it was, well, hello, Mr. President. We're happy to see you. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and I was... Uh, in the military, you used to change of command ceremonies. I know they yeah. call it something different these days, but <laughs> my change of command ceremony was a paper grocery bag, and in that bag were some canceled checks, one check register, and some receipts. And I saw that I had about somewhere south of $3,000 for trying to make this place go. Uh, but a dedicated bunch of guys, primarily in those days, uh, primarily Vietnam vets, uh, who were just determined that we were going to keep Richard's spirit alive um, and, uh, and, and do something worthwhile for veterans. So progressed 14 years. Uh, we are now in an, an incredible place on Main Street, uh, right across the street from where we started at Richard's Gourmet Coffee Shop, and out the back door is the, is the area where his house stood where he died. Mm. Okay, so we're in the heart and soul of, of Richard Warren. And we have two primary missions, I guess. One is to provide comfort and solace and camaraderie. You know, you get out of the military, what do you miss most, Nate? You yeah. miss the guys you serve with. Sure. You miss the feeling, the dedication, the sense of mission, and that kind of thing. 
And that's, I think, true for just about everybody. So it's a place for camaraderie where you can come in and talk to guys. We've got all the services involved except for Space Force. We don't have everybody from there yet. <clears throat> and, and, and there's a, there's a crew that comes in and it's their buddies and, and they get together. Um, <clears throat> our other mission is to take care of needy vets. Young kids coming out of the military, not knowing what the heck they're going to do. Mm. They get out as an E3 or an E4. They might have a wife and two kids and 50 bucks in the bank. And they come to Charlotte, uh, a lot of them attracted by NASCAR, NASCAR tech, <clears throat> but they have no foundation, you know? So as long as, so they come to us, as long as they have a DD-214 with an honorable discharge on it, we'll do whatever we can to help them get set up. Uh, we provide financial assistance. We've given away, I think, three cars. Uh, we buy tires for, for those who need tires. Um, we, do, we put folks up in a motel. Uh, we do whatever we can to help them get their feet on the ground and keep off the streets. You know, uh, you talk about benefits. Uh, Cornerstone has veterans benefits as well, do you not? Yes. So we are an approved VA vendor. Um, so we work directly at a contract with the VA. Um, so I feel like this is a great opportunity, obviously, get connected with John yeah. in, in the coffee shop and things like that. Cause a lot of times service members are either unwilling because of their experience mm -hmm. when they got home to work with the VA, or I've, I've come across that a lot specifically with mm -hmm. that generation, um, or are just unaware that they have these benefits or a lot of people are aware of like maybe aid and attendance and there's some financial ties to that and they, maybe they're not eligible for. So this program is a community-based um, home health program that provides respite care for people who are providing, you know, the primary caregivers uh, for veterans or also for the veterans themselves who, um, you know, need that assistance. We talk about daily living activities. So um, it's actually a very simple process, um, and that's not usually the case when it comes to the VA. Yeah, if that's you right. dealt with them. Yep. So if you're already in the system and you had an honorable discharge and can prove basically through a VA physician that you need help with at least two activities a day of living. There's a couple of forms you can fill out, get those signed off on, and then, you know, the amount of care that they're eligible for gets determined, and they can say, hey, um, I've already been in contact with Cornerstone Caregiving. I would like them to provide the services whenever you determine my eligibility. And we have a nurse that goes out there, perform the assessment, get the paperwork to the VA, and then we can start, you know, and initiate the care and give them the, the help that they need. So, um Free of service, they don't do anything. Um, they don't have to get reimbursed. We bill the VA directly, and they reimburse mm. us. So, how does Cornerstone differ from other home care agencies? Yeah, so I alluded to a little bit earlier. So, a lot of times um, when you're getting set up in a home care scenario, um, it's a challenging landscape at times. So, it, it's one of those things where we uh, we try to be direct and 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 talk about those sorts of things when we're initiating care for someone in their home. Um, but they found their solution to that is okay, hey, everyone needs a four, at least a four-hour shift when we're coming out to the home. Everyone needs at least 12 hours or 20 hours a week, which is pretty standard what you'll see in the industry. We don't have any of those minimums in place. So like I said, we sometimes even will partner with a lot of independent communities that they're still largely independent. They might have a surgery or something that just limits their mobility or, or, or daily routine. And we sometimes even do as little as a half-hour minimum um, if there's enough people in the community that need our services. So we really try and kind of find that wherever those spaces are that aren't really being attended to, 
that was our founders. Uh, he was involved in visiting angels high up, and he broke off, started Cornerstone Carry. I mean, it was like, hey, I think there's still a little bit better way to kind of do this. And and part of that mission was let's provide the amount of care that people need without forcing them to pay for anything they don't. Yeah. So having those no, no minimums in place really does um, kind of set us apart in that regard. Um, I think we're the only one in the Charlotte area that doesn't have those. Colonel, we got a couple of minutes left before we get a break. Um, West Point graduate. Again, I talked about some of the things that you were able to achieve. Talk a little bit, a little bit about your military background. Um, I was raised as an Army brat. My dad was in, and we lived in, lived. I lived around the world as a kid. I lived in Japan for three years, lived in France for three years, and various places across the states, Benning and, and Monterey, California, that I remember clearly. Uh, and so I guess it was in my blood. And I always wanted to be a soldier, and I always wanted to be an infantry soldier. My dad was an infantry officer. Um, he never pushed me in that direction, uh, but but he certainly encouraged me if that's the way I wanted to go. So when I was in high school, everybody's making their college visits under junior and senior years. I didn't go anywhere because I knew where I wanted to go. And uh, my dad would take me down there once a year in the fall for a parade and a football game. Mm-hmm. And we lived in Rochester, New York at that time. So we'd go down and do that and go eat dinner. And after that, he'd drive back to Rochester uh, at the end of the day. So I tried out of high school to go to West Point, like most guys do. Um, and I took all the entrance exams and all that kind of stuff and found out I had not done very well. And, <laughs> and, and I, was a, I was a fifth alternate or something, which mm. meant, you know, four guys, guys only in those days who had been selected had to say no or flunk out or whatever before I got a shot. And, uh, I, I found out about West Point Prep School for regular Army soldiers. Right. Mm. So the day after I graduated from high school, there was an OD car in my driveway. It took me to the reception station, and that started it all. Well, when we come right back, we're going to talk about uh, two of your books that you've written. I'm Bill Russell, your host for Town Talk, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Again, those of you who are watching us streaming on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or on WSIC, thank you for staying with us. Uh, We have a couple of events coming up with the Chamber of Commerce on Tuesday, August the 1st. From 5 o'clock to 7.30, we have the 20-year anniversary of GoFar Automotive. That's Joe and Terry Carbon. Those of you in Lake Norman, you know Joe and Terry, uh, very involved. He comes down to Richard's Coffee Shop quite often, Mm -hmm. Joe does. Um, Joe has been an ambassador of the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce for those 20 years. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Chamber Ambassador of the Year is named after Joe Carbon because of everything he's done. And again, that event is coming up next Tuesday, August the 1st. If you have an opportunity, you've been a client of Joe's or just touched by Joe and Terry Carbon, please come out to the Chamber. We're going to be up in the boardroom, the Randy Marion room on the second floor of the Chamber of Commerce, again, 5 to 7.30 next week. And the same night that we're doing that is also National Night Out. The Cornelius Police Department at Cornelius Parks and Rec will be hosting this free public event. It promotes community safety and crime prevention. Join them for a family fun event, including children's activities, food, entertainment, and more. Uh, I think that's 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. It's going to be at the Smithfield Park. Again, well, it's 5.30 to 7.30 Smithfield Park. Same time as our event, but you can come by and see Joe and Terry and then and go out to Smithfield if you're in Cornelius 
the event for National Night Out, I think for State's Full, for Moore's Full, for Huntersville, Davidson, I think they're holding them in October. So a little bit cooler. Mm. And uh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it was a little warm. The rooftop was yeah. nice, but I, I, about five minutes up there and I was, uh, I was, I think I was cooked. Yep. I, I was talking to one of our commissioners from the town of Huntersville, and I said, "Why aren't you having it in you know this month where when all the others are across the country?" He said, "Because it's hot, <laughs> and a lot of our officers are wearing a lot of gear, and yes. it's hot." Yep. So uh, anyway, there they uh, are having that event later on in the year. Um, we're also having on Tuesday, August the eighth, from eight o'clock to ten o'clock. Wins. It's a female networking event at the Chamber of Commerce. It's held at Brick Row, one nine seven two five Oak Street here in Cornelius, and you can network with other women from Huntersville through Mooresville and beyond. This month's speaker is Lisa Bass. Lisa is from Legal Shield, and again, it's primarily targeted for women. Doesn't mean, uh, Nate, you can't go down or, John, participate, uh, but the subject matter is primarily for females. Uh, if you're wondering, does the Chamber of Commerce or how can the Chamber benefit me on Wednesday the 9th, from 4 o'clock to 5.30, we have a membership orientation for new and existing and potential members of the Chamber of Commerce. It's held at the Chamber of Commerce, 19900 West Catawba Avenue. You can come out. If you're a new Chamber member, you can find out what the Chamber can do and how you can maximize your investment in the Chamber of Commerce. If you've been a Chamber of Commerce member, and uh, it's just an opportunity to refresh and remind you about some of the things that we're doing. And if you're not a Chamber member, you guys can come out and find out a little bit more about the Chamber. Uh, Nate, both you and John are members of our Chamber of Commerce, and we thank you very much for your support. As a matter of fact, uh, John, I don't know if you were there that morning. We had a nonprofit meeting about two years ago over at Richard's Coffee Shop where we brought 30 of the Lakes uh, regional nonprofits. I remember, yes. You, okay, yes. good. Very well yeah. attended, and we thank you for playing host of that particular thing. As a matter of fact, that, that quarterly nonprofit is coming up again Thursday, August the 10th. That's going to be 9 o'clock to 10.30. Uh, it's held at the Homewood Suites in Davidson at 125 Harbor Place. Hmm. And, and again, it's a chance where any of our regional nonprofits can come out and find out more about each other and share some of the things that they're doing. You know, one of the reasons we started that, John, is because there might be, uh, well, there were three nonprofits that had their gala events on the same weekend. And this is a chance for people to understand what is Richard's Coffee Shop, what what might uh, Ada Jenkins do. Mm -hmm. So it's an opportunity. Uh, again, thank you everybody for watching us during the streaming, and we're coming back live on the radio in just a minute. Welcome back to Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell. I have Nate Conley. He's the operating director at Cornerstone Caregiving. And Lieutenant Colonel John Headley. He is retired. Welcome homes, veterans, Richard's Coffee Shop. Nate, I want to go back to you. What are some of the challenges that you face within your industry? Yeah, so um, we talked about just from a client perspective, obviously, the cognitive issues and um, some of the challenges that is, is, is brought on by those uh, issues, bringing people in the home that aren't familiar with that environment, having the people obviously that we're caring for, um, just really being uneasy with that whole thing, changing their environment um, when it comes to that. But in all reality, too, um, it is a industry that's very deals uh, with some very difficult retention issues. So um, it's a very it's a constant challenge um, in terms of a lot of these um, were a PRN role. So these caregivers work whatever hours they have available to them to try to make their living um, via this way. So, um, you know, a lot of them sometimes work for 
a few different agency at a time to kind of fill up their hours during the week. Um, so creating that consistency is always something that is a challenge, but it's something that's a priority, um, especially when we talk about the ones um, when we're in the home with the um, issues with Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, so retention, um, what we try to do to try to combat some of those things is we always try to be as creative as possible. Um, it's never going to be a perfect scenario, perfect world. Um, we try to dedicate a, a high priority level to uh, valuing our caregivers. So we do a lot of um, every week we have a weekly caregiver appreciation drawing. We have a caregiver of the month. Cornerstone caregiving, one of its uh, you know pillars is making sure an oftentimes undervalued community in terms of caregivers understands that they are very important. They are what they're doing is very important, is very impactful, you know, caring for other people's loved ones. So making sure they understand how much we appreciate what they do and, um, you know, competitive wages, competitive salaries. We have a caregiver of the month um, nominee for every office that gets, you know, entered in to win a chance for a thousand dollars a caregiver of the year award um, that comes with $500 and a chance for drawing to win a new car. So just things in terms of the caregivers themselves to hopefully solve or at least um, mitigate some of those retention issues when it comes to the caregivers themselves. Cause it's really, really important to try to establish that consistency when we have the care for our clients. And if you have a high, high turnover rate, it, it, it becomes even more challenging. So, you know, I was sharing the, the frustration challenges within a family dealing with things of that nature um, I, I remember one time that I had a couple come see my grandfather who'd been bedridden and I was working out in the garden, but I, when I walked in, I could see just the absolute sheer look on their face that they hadn't seen my grandfather in over a year and how he had deteriorated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at granddaddy and I, and I said, granddaddy, I've been out in the garden waiting on you for over an hour. I thought you were coming out there and helping me pick corn. What, what are you doing? Are you? And he said, well, I'm coming in just a minute. And of course they're looking at me like, He's not getting out of bed. And I said, you, you're just wasting, you, you're just staying there. You're saying, you're going to stay in here and enjoy yourself. I'm out there working hard. He said, I'll be out there directly. I'm yeah. coming. And I could see the expression on their face. Like, what is he talking about? This guy's not going to get out of bed. But sometimes you just, you just have to, you have to go with it. and Play the uh, game almost, you know, it's a, yeah. mentally, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of just have to meet them on wherever they're at. So yeah, it's, it's. What recommendations would you have for a family dealing with that kind of issue? Yeah, um, I, I think the biggest thing in terms of memory th- is we see a lot of frustrations, um, not only because they're not always mentally just aware of their surroundings or, or where they're at, even specifically um, repeating themselves a lot. So um, there, for us specifically, what we try to do is is it's not anything you could, I think is uh, you can have a blanket sort of generic way to deal with it because each one is different. Each one, you know, handles different, responds differently. So for us, we just... We really try to pe- try to educate them on what dementia is and mm-hmm. what Alzheimer's is, and they have to understand that it's it's a disease that is attacking the brain. It is that brain is dying, mm-hmm. and just how dramatic. I mean, it, I mean, when you think about when you have heart issues or or even an injury where one part mm-hmm. of your body is not working properly, you're, we're talking about the brain and how it is, you know, actively dying. Um, and so, just preaching patience and and understanding of the disease itself. I think goes a long way in those moments of, of just trying to understand while they might not be aware of what's happening to their body, us understanding what is and, and, and dealing with it on that level and, and you know, kind of having the, the, the mental capacity or, or, or the approach of, of just that patience of, of and, uh, you know, hopefully just provides a little more compassion for those scenarios. We've got about 20 minutes left. If you've got a question regarding uh, home health care, dementia, Alzheimer's, Nate's here. 
844-STUDIO-4, 844-STUDIO-4. John, I want to get back, uh, you know, right before we went to break, we were talking about your military career. Uh, share a little bit about where you were at and, and some of the military uh, engagements and, and where you were stationed. Sure. Uh, I started out like most grunts at Fort Benning, Georgia, with mm-hmm. a series of schools and so forth. And then I had uh, six months to go practice being a second lieutenant before I went to Vietnam. So I stayed at Benning in the 197th Light Infantry Brigade. I was a platoon leader there. Uh, had an incredible platoon sergeant who taught me a whole lot. And mm-hmm. my dad had always told me, you know, just make sure you pay attention to your NCOs and, and they'll help you. So anyway, after six months there, I wound up in Vietnam. Um, I landed there on my 24th birthday. Oh, tw- <laughs> and I got really upset because nobody had a cake for me. And it was a, the <laughs> yeah, first birthday I've ever been through, and I didn't have a birthday cake. Um, Very inconsiderate. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that was an experience that they, they can certainly relate. Uh, there are parts of it you don't want to talk about. There are parts of it oh, yeah. you don't want to remember. Um, but it was an incredible experience in, in growing up. Uh, it, there's, I found out there's no more greater experience in life or responsibility in life than being responsible for other mother's sons, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll, and they'll tell you what, in all the training and so forth that when the stuff starts, all the eyes come to you and say, what do we do now, Lieutenant? And that was true. And that was, that, 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 that really hit me. Um, mm-hmm. it was a heavy, heavy, heavy responsibility. But I came back from my year in Vietnam. Fortunately, no holes big enough to get me a Purple Heart, so that was wonderful. Uh, and I went to the Old Guard in Washington, D.C. And I spent two years commanding a company there. And one of our primary responsibilities was funerals in Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, and being the company commander, I was responsible for all the officer funerals uh, that took place during that week at Arlington. They were predominantly Vietnam guys that were coming back. Um, it was really tough dealing with widows and or moms. Um, I sent one of my officers, one of my platoon leaders, off to Vietnam, and three months later we were burying him, uh-huh. which is one of the toughest ones I've ever had to do. But it, but it was proud because we were the last vision of the Army that that family would see, more than likely. And so we trained hard to be absolutely perfect in everything that we did to show the deepest respect we could to the guy that we were burying. Um, and then from there, I went on to other assignments. I had an ROT instructor assignment, ROTC, where uh, I, m- I met my wife. Um, was that in high school? No, that was in, uh, in Atlanta. In ROTC? Yeah, ROTC was in Atlanta. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I uh, I was trained by the Army to be a Japan specialist, okay. so I spent two and a half years going to language and cultural training, uh, both in the Presidio Monterey in California and then to the Foreign Service Institute in Yokohama, Japan. Uh, so I spent a good deal of time in Japan. I came back to Fort Benning, had a couple of commands there, uh, and then uh, went off to a school. And while I was at school, the Army came to me and said, okay, Headley, you got all the troop duty you're ever going to get. What do you want to do next? And I said, I want to go be with soldiers. Well, I didn't make a command list, so I wasn't going to command a battalion. But I wound up as a division IG, Hmm. which was an absolutely superb job because we really got involved in those days and trying to help folks and trying to help the units improve their efficiency and their operational readiness and so forth. 
<clears throat> and that's where I retired from, was from that job. So it was a total of 24 years from the 24th of June, 1963, when I enlisted, my dad's birthday, um, until I retired in 91, early 91. John, you've, you've written a couple of books, Saddle Up and From the Shadows, and when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about those books a little bit more. Um, stay with us on WSIC Town Talk. I'm your host, Bill Russell, and we'll be back after this break. Okay, those of you who are still with us while we're streaming, I want to remind you about a, a couple of more Chamber of Commerce events uh, on Friday, August 11th, noon until 2. Our host here today, WSIC, is hosting a seminar, Digital Influence Seminar, Unlocking Business Growth with Content Creation Using Radio, Social Media, and Podcasts. Uh, join Justin Kazepis and the WSIC Creative Media team, and we're going to explore how to enhance your media and marketing exposure. Lunch is provided, but you have to call the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce to make a reservation. Also, the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce is accepting applications for both its Leadership Lake Norman and its Junior Leadership Lake Norman. Uh, Leadership Lake Norman is a program for adults, and Junior Leadership is for rising high school juniors. So if you have a, a, a young man or a woman who is uh, going to be a junior in high school this coming fall, uh, whether they're in a Lake Norman High School or homeschool, and you're interested in Junior Leadership Lake Norman, you can look at that application online at lakenormanchamber.org. The deadline for Leadership Lake Norman is September 8th, and Junior Leadership Lake Norman is September 15th. But uh, those are two programs we have coming up with the Chamber of Commerce. Um, Nate, I'm going to go back to you. Before we go back to being live on the radio, can you share any of your past military experience or what sticks out as, as some of those moments that you enjoyed most? Yeah. Um, as Colonel kind of mentioned, there's there's a lot that we don't necessarily like talking about, um, and, and those are very difficult, but uh, I, I do. I, I have several... Um, I think it's it's why I'm very eager to kind of get involved with the Richard's Coffee Shop, because um, you mentioned that camaraderie, and it's mm-hmm. very rare to get around a, a lot of people who understand what we went through, what we did. Um, so, um, you know, to have individuals that, that share that commonality um, and you don't even have to talk about it. They just, yeah. you know, they understand yep. um, it, it, it's a, it's a level of comfort that, that oftentimes is, is, is rare to come across um, when you tra- make that transition, you know, out of the military into the civilian world. So um, for me personally, it, it just, you know, I'm a, a, I played um, soccer in college, and it was a very athletic, very active person. So training, um, although sometimes some of the training I didn't like as much, but um, you know, just in those moments, you know, uh, just being active, training, um, learning a lot of different skills. I was not like uh, didn't grow up a lot around the military, so a lot of stuff was was new to me. So learning a lot of those things, um, you know, getting a lot of those life skills that I think. Honestly, for me, um, as a young adult, I still had a lot of maturing and growing up to do. And I think the Army, you know, really helped me in that sure. regard. Yeah. Um, I probably wasn't your typical, probably Army person that you thought of. I was very opinionated. Um, I, you know, uh, taught a lot of people what I thought, which wasn't the best thing uh, in, <laughs> in, uh, in the infantry specifically. But um, just really served me well. Like I said, I never really planned on staying in, but was, was really glad I did and how it set me up for, you know, the past that I uh, ended up taking. Yeah, so thank you. 
Welcome back to Town Talk. We were just talking to Nate about his experience. And uh, Colonel, want to share a little bit about what, what you've done in terms of writing your book, Saddle Up and From the Shadows. I know you said Saddle Up took you about eight years to write. Tell us a little bit about Saddle Up and, and that book that you wrote. Sure. Uh, and, and Nate knows when you come back from a live fire exercise, normally you don't talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. You don't share the experiences with your family. For years and years, I never talked to my wife about anything. My daughter didn't know anything about what I had done or maybe even the fact. My wife knew I'd been to Vietnam, of course, but my daughter probably didn't even realize that. And uh, when we came home, we were not welcomed home with open arms. It was kind of a tough time for a lot of guys. So even more reason to clam up and not talk about what you did. But I had reunions of my recon platoon yearly. Uh, starting in the year 2000. And at first, we'd have a reunion, and the guys would wait until the wives and the kids went to bed, and then we'd pull out a couple of bottles and a few packs of cigarettes, and we'd sit around and talk, and do you remember, and why did you, and then, and, 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 and talk about some of those experiences that we weren't willing to share with our family. And then a lot of guys started wearing pins on their hats, you know, the award uh-huh. pins or whatever, um, and, and, and the kids, as they got older, started saying, well, what'd you do for that, Daddy? Why was that? And I began to get really kind of disgusted with the way we were labeled when we came home as baby killers, rapists, drugs, you name it. Um, and I, I wanted to set the record straight for my guys so their families would know that these guys fought with every ounce of valor and, and uh, competence that you could ever hope for in a unit and that these guys were not what we were labeled as. So this was started as a, as a legacy document. Um, I had three commands in Vietnam in the year I was there. Uh, the high point, of course, was this recon platoon, and you'd appreciate we were up in the mountains uh, along the Cambodian border uh, trying to catch the little fellers when they came mm-hmm. off the Ho Chi Minh Trail into South Vietnam. Um, and these, these guys were were phenomenal soldiers. And I wanted people to know, and I, I just, I was tired of the way we were labeled. So I, I started this book as a, as a legacy document for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times I had to get away from it because of memories and whatever, and then go back to it. Um, and it took me eight years to get it done. Saddle up, it's available on Amazon. It is, it is, yeah. And From the Shadows, a second book that you did, you completed it in just a couple of years. Yeah. From the Shadows, I did it in two years because I, I had a deadline for <laughs> a, a, a class remembrance uh, weekend in D.C. at the Wall where we were going to pay special tribute to these 20 classmates of ours that were there. Um, and, and this also is a legacy document. You know, there's 58,000-plus names on that wall and their names, and nobody knows much about those guys unless you served with them or you knew them or whatever. Um, and my class in particular, we started out, nobody, when we got in in 1964, nobody could find Vietnam on a map or even had heard the name. And by the time we were probably in our third year, we knew we were going to be a war class and we were all going off to war after we graduated. Um, and, and, and these 20 guys' stories I tried to tell were all exceptional, phenomenal guys. And my class is getting senior. Uh, we're all in our upper mid-70s probably at this point. Um, it's not going to be too much longer in the future where there won't be any of us left. And when that time comes, I didn't want these 20 guys to just fade into the wall. 
Right. It's a very honorable place to be, but I just didn't want it to become another name on the wall. I wanted their stories told. So I wrote this book as, as, a, as a legacy book as well to try to establish who these young men were, uh, how they trained, why they trained, and what they were doing, um, and basically how they died. Carl, you mentioned sometimes people don't want to talk about their service, and I remember stories told of my great-great-grandfather, Adkins, who fought in the Civil War, and um, I remember my grandmother telling me that that oftentimes they would sit down and talk with him, and he absolutely wouldn't discuss Mm -hmm. any facet of what happened in those engagements in the Civil War. He would not talk about it like it never happened. My, My dad was a World War II vet, and he never talked to me. Um, I thought maybe when I joined the army, the little kindred spirit here, and he'd share something never happened. I came back from my combat tour in Vietnam, and I sat down with him one night with a bottle of scotch and two glasses, and I said, okay, Dad, let's talk. I want to know about you. I want to know what you did. And he hemmed and hawed and fumbled around, and we never got anywhere with that. So to this day, I don't know what my dad did. For those of you who are, are listening, um, how can how can you... How can they get involved? How can listeners help support uh, Welcome Home Veterans? Sure. Uh, we're, a, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we survive on donations. Uh, we survive on people coming to see us, and, and, and we're almost like a living museum, we call ourselves mm-hmm. that, because some of us old dinosaurs can relate directly to what we got hanging on our walls. Um, and, and we... We serve not for ourselves. We serve for the people of this country, you know, and didn't didn't ask for thanks or appreciation. We went up. You felt like you had to serve your country, so away you went. I can relate. Um, but at this stage in life, we kind of want to show the the, the the civilian population what we did and who we were and, and let them understand some of the sacrifices that were made, if nothing more than time away from families, from anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, whatever. So we, ask, we, we, we don't ask for donations. We appreciate them. Uh, we're trying real hard to get young guys like Nate in. That's um, tough because you're working and you don't have the time necessarily to come. Um, but and anybody can just come down to Richard's country. Oh, anybody. I, mm-hmm. Again, I mean, we serve the people of this country. We would like to people to come in and see mm-hmm. something about I mean there are so few families in this country these days that have any direct relation to the military now less than one percent mm-hmm. you know and and so there's a great knowledge vacuum out there or a great understanding vacuum out there of what guys did who raised their right hand and signed their lives away for any number of years uh, to go off and, and and protect and guarantee our freedoms and our liberties uh, and, and again, legacy. Right? These guys deserve some recognition, and we want people to come in and sit down and talk with one of the guys there and find out what he did. At this stage, you know, we're maybe a little bit more willing to speak about some of the things that occurred, or you know, what's what's it like to serve at sea, or what's it like to fly a jet airplane, or whatever. Um, and uh, we try really hard to be involved in the community. Uh, we try real hard to get involved with anything that we can participate in, anything that we can do. Again, to uh, encourage uh, veterans to come and join us. I, I never go anywhere without my Vietnam vet hat because I want to meet other vets and I can talk to them about Richards and try to get them to, to come and participate with us. You know, Colonel, a lot of people came home from World War I and they were celebrated. World War II, Korea, they were celebrated. 
Vietnam was, was a controversial war. Uh, they didn't get the welcome back that many did. What would you say to any veteran that's listening out there? Uh, what would you say to them that maybe feels like they weren't appreciated for what their their service was to our country? I, I run into guys on the streets sometimes with my hat. They'll come up and the, 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 the greeting between Vietnam vets is welcome home and you give each other a hug, right? And sometimes you get tears and whatever. And I'll tell anyone that anyone who wore a uniform, I don't care what you did. You could have been a cook or a combo lineman or an infantry soldier or a pilot. Be proud of what you did. Stand up and be proud. And you don't have to go around trumpeting your accomplishments, but don't shirk from telling anybody that you're a veteran. And don't feel like you have to hide in a corner because you're a vet and you don't want to you don't want to wear anything that identifies you as a vet. I say, be proud of what you did because there's so few people who do that. You know, and this country exists now because of, of folks who are willing to put on a uniform and go serve. You know, I was sharing with you my uncle Jimmy Lever. He was he was a man that went in in the very beginning of the Vietnam War and was one of the last to be brought out. Um, my my brother's wife served in the Navy. Uh, just a lot of folks within my family served in the in the military, and I'm very appreciative of what they did to, so that we have the opportunity to be here today mm -hmm. to, to give our opinions on, on WSIC. And Nate, thank you very much for your service and what you did for your country. No, I appreciate that. And, and it's always just an incredible honor to, to meet, you know, Colonel Headley and, and those who served before. And I, uh, you know, obviously did my own uh, times abroad and in, in, in a time of war, but uh, just it's very difficult for even someone like me to imagine Vietnam, World War II, and, and, you know, with those, you know, veterans, the sacrifices and hardships and, and, and memories um, that, that, you know, they have to uh, just revisit uh, at, at times and, and deal with on a daily basis. So I know the struggles that I have, you mm -hmm. know, personally, and, and it's just um, always just, See, like I said, it's an honor to, to, to meet the, that, um, the ones who came That's who a great thing us. about the coffee shop. Guys like you, guys like me, I struggle with my memories too. Mm -hmm. You know, but but when you're having a a, a bad time and, and your dreams or flashbacks or whatever is bothering you, you can come into Richardson. You can be with guys who have walked down the same trail, who have been through the same thing, and it and it gives you solace and it gives you support, um, and and that's critical to the mental well-being. Twenty-two vets a day commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Why? That's a desperation call. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge thing. Uh, at Fort Lewis, I, I think we had more people actually. Who had died via suicide on our being home than actually died in country yeah, yeah. Um, in our unit, and it's just it's it's very it's very sad. Yeah, it, it is. Nate, we want to thank you for sharing a little bit about cornerstone dementia and Alzheimer's, and and Colonel, we want to thank you for sharing about uh, Richard's Coffee Shop and Welcome Home Veterans. I want to remind everybody that tomorrow morning uh, we're going to be on Good Morning LKN. Uh, I have Senator Jeff Tart and Andy Yates, so join us. From 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we'll be right here. Good morning, LKN. If it's Wednesday afternoon, we're talking about our towns on Town Talk, WSIC. We'll see you next week. I'm Bill Russell, your host of Town Talk. And again, thank you, gentlemen, for you being bet. here thank with you. me today. See thank you, everyone. You.